Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Asking for Myself, the podcast where I ask all the questions you're too afraid to. I'm your host, Mia, and today we're talking about couples counseling. I know it can be intimidating to go to therapy, either by yourself or with your partner, but it doesn't have to be. We were not taught how to communicate in sex ed, or ever, and many of us don't have the best models for what a healthy relationship looks like not to mention the media we consume. Sex in the City, Friends, Desperate Housewives, Disney Princess movies, whatever you grew up watching probably didn't give you the best depiction of a healthy relationship dynamic. So it's only natural that we would have a lot of questions and challenges when it comes to our relationships. In this episode, I talked to sex therapist Casey Polite and relationship coach Shula Melamed to demystify couples therapy and counseling. And I think this episode is great for not only people considering counseling, but also anyone in a relationship or who would hope to be in a relationship someday or who is reflecting on previous relationships and what they can do differently in the future. The episode is broken down into three sections. So first we talk about counseling, what it looks like, what to expect. Then we get into how to manage certain relationship dynamics. And lastly, of course, you know, I had to squeeze in some questions about sex, including what sex therapy is, what it isn't, and how to manage mismatched libido and desire in a relationship. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think it's a great one to listen to solo or with your partner. Or maybe you want to listen to it solo first and then see if you want to share it with your partner if you find anything useful. Being proactive and intentional about your relationships will set you up with the tools for success. And remember, success does not mean you never argue or that there are never any issues. Success means you have the tools when those challenges do inevitably occur to work through them together. So without further ado, let's talk taboo. Okay, well, hello. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Can you start just by introducing yourself and the work that you do? Want to go ahead, Casey? (laughs) Sure, I'll start. So I'm Casey Polite, and I'm a clinical social worker and sex therapist um, in the Dallas, Texas area. Um, So I have a private practice here, which I've had for about a year and a half. I'm I'm a pleasure pusher. I have to admit that is my my agenda to support individuals um, and relationships in their pursuit and understanding of pleasure and what that means for them and managing their relationships and maximizing those experiences. Love that. Um, awesome. I'm so excited to, to talk to you. I'm like, I, pleasure is like, also, I, I wrote my thesis about pleasure oh, in wonderful. sexual health interventions. Yeah. So yes. I love it. Pleasure based like anything is, is yes. So I'm Shula Malamed. I'm a relationship and well-being coach. Uh, I have a master's in psychology and a master's in sexuality and health. And I help people build better relationships and and talk about things like intimacy, communication, healthy boundaries, conscious connection, and just really helping people take proactive steps towards living the kind of lives that they would really love to to live. And and um, yeah, I'm very passionate about that. So excited about the conversation. 
Awesome. Such necessary work that both of you do. I'm obsessed with each of you. So (laughs) I guess just to start, can you clarify the difference between therapy and coaching and when someone would seek therapy versus when someone would seek coaching? Mm, That's a good question. And I think Sheila, you and I can kind of bounce back on that because I think within the the mental health field, the behavioral health field, there's a lot of conversation about what that means. Being licensed, not being licensed, people being able to say they're a coach without any necessary um, educational background or certifications, right? And what that means. So I'm really glad that you, you know, you shared your education, right? And for people to understand, yeah, like your level of expertise, But when you think about therapy and coaching, they have very different modalities when it comes to practice. So with therapy, there is a a mental health component, a diagnosis that drives treatment. And there are therapy models that are used to provide the treatment to support someone, such as cognitive behavioral therapy right? There's particular models for that. So if someone is seeking therapy, they typically are managing a mental health concern in conjunction with a life stressor, which could be related to sexual issues and relationship issues or not. And in those cases, coaching can be more effective. It also depends on what the the outcome is that people want. So Shula, I'd love to hear you share about coaching. Yeah, absolutely, um, Casey. That's that that's exactly how I would talk about the the differences between therapy and and coaching. I think it's important to therapy and coaching, there there is something, I call it like a power couple in a way. They can work really, really well together. I think when somebody is in the moment where they really need to when they do have a diagnosis or they're in active trauma or they are really at the point where it's more process oriented when they're trying to figure out you know the source of and the root of things that are really creating clinical concerns that's therapy is the spot for them you know for sure and it's coaching is really helpful for when you're ready to take the steps the thing is with coaching there is also a little bit of that exploring as a coach i need to know a little bit about someone's past you know i'm not going to be able to just say okay what what's happening today and then what are we going to do for the next like 6 months right it's i have to have a little bit of a sense of you know how did you learn to to love like what were some of the models that you saw what are some of the things that you've struggled with in the past and it's important to to know those things but if it's some something that people have to unpack and process or if there is severe anxiety, I mean, a lot of people are anxious and a lot of people are depressed, you know, (laughs) like it's not, it's on a continuum, but if it's to the point where they really need that, that clinical guidance, that's where therapy is, is much more helpful. I say that we slide around a little bit, but the thing with the education is, is that you need to know what you don't know. And I think that there are a lot of folks out there who are calling themselves coaches and relationship coaches and and life coaches who who don't even know what they don't know and that is a thing that's really scary to me i know i've taken clinical psychology courses i've taken you know health intervention public health all of that kind of 
work, coursework. So I know when I'm meeting somebody, when it's it's out of my hands, right? I need to refer them out. I need to refer them out to a somatic therapist. I need to refer them out to a trauma-based you know, therapist. And every human being has a little bit of this, but knowing what you don't know is really, really important. And I, I thank you for, for pointing that out, Casey, because I think sometimes there can be a lot of conflict between the coaching world and the therapy world because there are so many people who, who are not, who don't even know what they what they're doing when they say that they're a coach. I don't want to be negative, but I just have to. Yeah, put it on. I love it. That's a good point. Yeah. I definitely think that as, so for me, like we're working with a lot of professionals in the sexuality and mental health space. And I think especially with the sexuality space, because um, even as educators, like you don't necessarily need certification to be an amazing educator and to be a super informed educator. But at the same time, it's sort of, I think, externally an easy way to validate, you know, legitimacy, quote unquote. But at the same time, you know, just because someone is certified doesn't necessarily, yeah, it doesn't necessarily make them better than someone else. So it can be difficult to navigate, I think, especially for people who are seeking help because, you know, you don't really know, especially now with Instagram. And I think that coaching has become way more accessible. Like it's kind of a little bit easier seemingly than depending like what you're doing. I think it can be difficult for people to kind of know like what's the difference and um, how to build that trust and know what, what they should be looking for. I guess, do you have advice for like, what would you recommend someone to look for in a coach or in a therapist as they're seeking guidance? Good question. I think the most important thing is knowing what questions to ask the professional that you're working with and being really clear about what you hope to gain from the experience. Because even if you're not sure between a therapist or a coach, if you talk to a professional that's knowledgeable and share with them what what you hope to gain from the experience, they really should be able to assess are their services the best fit based on education, license, and process? Or is that another professional that they need to refer out and provide you with that education? So I I just applaud people for the courage to reach out to a professional. I don't even want them to like figure out all the weeds of that, like allow the professional to give them some guidance based off of what it is that they're looking for. No, I, I completely, I completely agree with that. And I think also talk to a couple people, you know, if it's, it, see if there's chemistry, because no matter who you're working with, you want to make sure that there is chemistry. And if there's something about their background that's interesting to you, if they have a certain kind of experience or area of study or identification that makes it makes it feel like you are going to be able to talk to this person, connect to this person, that's, that's really important. I think also if somebody, I would also be wary if somebody tells you that they can solve all your problems and that if you come to them that like you, they're the only person that you need to talk to and they're the only person that can get you the results that you want. I would be very, very cautious if somebody is like that. I think there's just humility, being humble, presenting, offering what you have to offer. These are my these are the types of people that I work with. These are the types of issues that I I've helped, I've supported people with and just that I think is really important. Yeah, I love that you said that. That's really 
key. Mm-hmm. It's just the you. only way to do it. No, that's <laughs> not the only way to do it. Yeah, no one size fits all. So a lot of couples will wait until there are major issues in their relationship or even years of pent up frustration and resentment to actually seek counseling. So is it ever too early in a relationship or too late to get support, get help? Hmm. Is it ever too early or is it ever too late? So I would say on the early side, it's never too early because prevention is a wonderful place to be in when you're not reacting to a problem or a crisis and seeking help when you're in that phase. So it's no different than the way that we take care of our vehicles, maintenance, oil changes, right? Like we don't wait until the car isn't moving to put gas in it. We put gas in it because we know that it's going to need to run. So we know in relationships that there are going to be challenges that you're going to face. And so if you're able to get support and tools before the issue presents, bonus, wonderful. Now, this flip side of is it ever too late, I think that that's depending on the couple and the situation that they're dealing with and their ability to recover from it where they are in their life, their emotional capacity and intelligence, their ability to come back from the dead, right? That's the worst. That's the only thing I can think of because when I think about when things are really, really bad, whatever that means, it all depends on the couple. They really have to assess if they have the willingness, the capacity, and the ability to move past and through whatever issues and really, um, yeah, they have to really want it. So I don't know, Sheila, do you think it's ever like too late? It's, I, you know, I think I agree with you that it's never too early. Like you can always get skills. I think we're not really taught how to have healthy relationships. I don't think we're taught how to have, you know, there's this assumption, a lot of assumption about, you know, sex and sexuality as relationships go on and children enter the picture if you choose to have children or whatever happens that there's an assumption that you know it's like it's going to go away or whatever all there are a lot of assumptions about knowing how to navigate relationships so i think if you can get the tools at the beginning and really figure out like again prevention i love that like having like you know public health background too i'm kind of like yeah this is what we want to do we want to make sure that we set people up for success And a lot of people think that if they go into therapy or they go into coaching or they get support from an outside source that somehow they're doomed, right? And so I completely, totally agree with what you're saying. Too late? I mean, I think it's, again, if both people are coming to the the therapy or to the coaching with the energy to, to do something, you can do anything, right, together. If you decide and you push and you put energy towards it, anything is possible. I think I'm, I love the Gottmans. I just, I love the everything, you know, all of their philosophy and their research on relationships and the contempt and the resentment. I think that when somebody has contempt, that's something that's really, really hard to come back from. Also, when couples come to me and one person wants to work on something and the other person doesn't, I always say, you know what? It's like a seesaw. You know, you could be 
pushing as much as you want. But if somebody's not pushing their weight, you know, it doesn't have to be completely even all the time, but it has to be a give and take. So if you're not both in it, or if you're not both willing to do a little bit of work, that's, that feels like it's, it's too late. If one person is completely checked out and isn't even interested in opening the door or peeking under the hood. Yeah. I was going to ask that next about like, what if one partner doesn't want to be there? And it sounds like you both need to want at least for some type of um, recovery, healing, growth, whatever it is that your um, goals are. So I guess um, what does a typical session with each of you look like for a couple? And then I want to get into individual in a little bit, but um, like, what is the typical length of time you usually would work with a couple? Is it like, is it six months? Is it a year? Is it however long they're experiencing issues? And what does that, like, what can people expect when they go into um, an appointment? Okay, I can start. So it, it starts with a consultation, 15 minutes. I do them by video. Um, I want to have a chance to, to connect with the couple because not only are they checking to see if I'm a good fit, I have to make sure that they're also a good fit, right? Ethically, I need to ensure that whatever issues that they're coming with, I'm equipped to support them. And so I love eye contact. I like to see folks. So I do those by video, get a chance to find out kind of what their concerns are, what brings them to this space at this point in their relationship, and what do they want to see happen as a result of the services. Um, so as long as we can see that it's a good fit, then we move into the initial appointment that I see both of the people together, the couple together, and do some history and data and assessment gathering to learn more about the relationship. And that's about 50 to 60 minutes. And then the second and third session, I will see each of them individually for 50 to 55 minutes. And then I'll do uh, just an individual deep dive, get more information about that person's past, the influences on their understanding of love and relationships. And if they're married, marriage, the institution of that, sex, limiting beliefs about sex, challenges that they've had. And then we'll come back together in the fourth session and continue to work together as a couple. Now that time is going to vary depending on the goals that we've established that we want to work on. And then things just come up in life, right? So they might come thinking that this is the issue and then something else comes up in the process. And so that's going to impact, right? That I feel like that happens a lot. Um, and then that's going to impact like the trajectory of treatment and how long it takes. So it really, it varies. Some couples with their schedules, they can come once a week. Others, the need is not at that acuity level. So Every other week may be beneficial for them. It just depends on what, how stressful the the situation is on their day to day life, as well as their availability. Yeah, so that's like a snapshot. Yeah, it's I I, I love that the the way that you. I felt like I was in the session, or I was. I felt like I was like the couples like going through each part. The description was like really really rich. I. I do, um, I send out 
basically a form, an intake form, and I allow people to individually, you know, just fill it out so I get to know like who I'm going to be meeting. I, I usually do a video meeting at first with um, one person or both people in the couple. I found that in my experience, a lot of times one of the the one member of the couple will come to me and and we'll meet and then the other partner will come in. Um, so I send an assessment and then um, or an intake form and then I meet for the first session. Just ask them, you know, a little bit about what they want to work on. Usually, there's like some kind of specific thing that they want to work on as far as experimenting with something new that they've never done before and trying to figure out a way to talk about it because sometimes it can be very awkward for couples to talk about their desires and and um that's a lot of the the stuff that I've been doing with people then I send them assessments about you know how did you learn to love a little bit of a history right and I'll have them do that as a writing practice and I will receive that before we have the next session. And um, I will meet with each person individually and discuss theirs and then ask them if they've discussed it with their partner. And then from there, you know, we figure out if there's anything interesting or or um, surprising that they found out because a lot of times couples don't have these conversations. And one of the things with the coaching is that it can be, you know, we create, I just have the right questions for them, right? <laughs> the questions for, to ask them that'll, that'll make them think about things that perhaps could be affecting the way that they're able to ask for something or not able to ask for something. And depending on, and, you know, similarly, you know, depending on what the situation is or, or, um, you know, what the issue is and, and how much support they need, you know, we could meet weekly, we could meet every other week and, it could be for six months or, um, you know, people can go away and come back, you know, and check in, do a check-in. Um, and yeah, so. Awesome. Thank you both. And um, that was really helpful. I hope that people gained a lot from that. And for the did. So I guess if you are seeking couples counseling or coaching, should you also seek individual support? Like, do you th- do you recommend that people do both and kind of do that simultaneously? What if one partner, because I, I think in many cases, it can be that one partner is in individual therapy and then they want to pursue, like bring their bring their partner in. So, and also would you recommend, do you see, would you recommend seeing the same person or would you recommend working with someone else for the couples and then you're like a different person for yourself? What do you think about that? Yes, good question. So it always comes back to what the person wants the outcome to be that really determines if they should also be an individual uh, services in conjunction with couple services. So if they know that there are things outside of the relationship just for them, that they need to heal and grow through that's going to help them be a better version of themselves that is still going to impact the relationship, but first it's going to help them with who they are, then bonus, definitely. Like pursue that in conjunction with working on the issues within the relationship. Because when you're working with a couple within the relationship, the relationship is the focus not the individual. 
solely. So it's how the individuals impact the relationship, but the relationship is a client per se. So, right. And so it, it just depends on what the individual is wanting to address in their life and grow. Now, I think that to answer your question about can it be or should it be the same person? I think that that philosophy varies amongst clinicians as well as how the couples may feel about it. So my personal preference is that they have a different therapist for their individual versus their couple. However, I do have clients because of circumstances, fit for other people, availability, accessibility, like all these other components that we had to process that it, their partner was in agreement, did not feel that it was going to impact their couple sessions for one of the partners to also see me for individual. But that is something that I want to talk with the couple about and what impact that can have so that the person that I'm not seeing for individual doesn't feel like I'm going to be biased towards the client that I will know differently than the other partner. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it when somebody tells me, you know, Oh, I was talking to my therapist about this and then they bring yes. it into the couple's thing. And I'm like, okay, yeah, isn't that great? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, great. You're working on your own thing and that's, that's good. And, and there could be, there can be, you know, an awkward moment when you're working with a couple and obviously one person needs support outside of the, the container that you're creating for the relationship to work on their issues. You know, if they have personal issues, you know, body image issues, other issues that, you know, that impact the relationship, but they need a place to work on it because of that, like that container that you're creating there. That's just about the relationship. I think that's really important. I have had moments where one person who's in a relationship wants to talk to me about managing things in their relationship. Like, how do I ask for what I want? How do I communicate needs? You know, just getting individual coaching around that and getting some concrete, you know, examples and, and exercises and resources and all of that stuff. And then they'll bring in their partner and then we'll all talk together. But again, I never want it to feel like, oh, this is so-and-so's coach. Right. And so, you know, she's on, she's on his team or whatever. (laughs) So it's very important to, to be sensitive about that. And I really like that. It's, the relationship is what you're doing when you're doing the, the couples coaching, the couple couples counseling, couples therapy. That's like the, that's the, it has a whole life of its own, right? It has a whole life of its own and it's fed through these two veins. So making sure that those two organisms are healthy and happy. If it takes an outside, outside resource or an outside practitioner to help that, I'm all for it. Love it. Is there ever a, is it ever realistic or effective to kind of convince your partner to go to therapy? Like if you feel that they really need it, what do you do when you're just like, I feel like this is really important for you, but obviously you can't force them to do anything. And is it even, you know, does it have to be something that you want and that you've decided to pursue or how can someone 
sort of nudge their partner? Or is that even maybe they shouldn't do that? What do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, as soon as you said that, a few clients came to mind, couples, right, where one partner was the driving force for setting up the services and literally just carried the other one with them, right? With very low motivation, but there was something that they believed they needed to at least try it, but they weren't necessarily sold that it could help. And so after an initial session, being able to talk to them about what their experience was like, like, was it what you expected? What were your beliefs about it before coming? Was that the reason that they weren't, you know, excited about the idea or hopeful? And you have to think about like the cultural implications of talking to a stranger, right? Um, about very personal issues. And we talk about sex and relationships, my goodness, like, could it be any more taboo and something that should be in a lot of ways private? And it's wonderful when I hear the partner who was not initiating it saying, wow, this was amazing. When's our next session? Like I literally, it's just the best experience and it, it happens often. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a wonderful thing when like the, the crossed arms kind of drop a little bit yeah. and you're like, oh, okay. They're like, okay. Like this isn't going to be that bad. Like she's yeah. not that horrible. You know, <laughs> she doesn't make me feel terrible about myself. I think, you know, in relationships, we do things that make the other person happy, right? Like we go to a baseball game if we don't want to, or we go to the ballet or, uh, you know, there, there are things where, you know, I think if you're at the level where you recognize that doing something that maybe takes you a little bit out of your comfort zone is like something that will feed your relationship and make it better or make your partner better. And you know, you make it there. I think that that's like something that, you know, that that's a, it's a good sign. Right. And if it's our jobs as, as, you know, practitioners, as counselors, as, as therapists to, to make it, you know, as comfortable for, for both parties, but like, you know, recognizing the resistance and, and if there is resistance, like also like acknowledging it, being like, you know, it, it seems like, this is, this, it's tough for you to have this conversation. You know, do you, you know, do you want to, do you want to tell me a little bit about that? And, and if that helps them kind of drop their arms a little bit and be more open to it, or, you know, is there something about this process that frightens you or that makes you feel like, you know, even tell me if it makes you feel, tell me if you think it might be a waste of time, you know, and we'll talk about that. So I think just by being a good partner and showing up and then also being by a good influence, you know, the partner who is bringing the other person in saying like, this is for the health of our relationship. It's all about how you also sell it to your partner too. Not like, I think we're really screwed up and this is the last thing. I think it's like, okay, I think we could do better. Like how could, how could we do better? Right. Um, how could we treat each other kinder? And, and let's just talk to another person who doesn't know us you know, we don't have to talk to our parents about it. We don't have to talk to our friends about it. It's, it's safer. So, so it's okay to give a little nudge. You know, I, I don't think it's, it's a terrible thing. Like somebody needs to like light the spark. I love that. Ready to upgrade your sex life? Look no further than Uberlube. I'm not kidding when I tell you that I'm high key obsessed with Uberlube. 
and I have been for years. It's not just because of the gorgeous glass bottle it comes in, though I admit that does have a little something to do with it. Uberlube is a silicone-based lubricant that lasts. Added vitamin E provides a silky soft feel to this unscented moisturizing formula. Trust me, you'll never go back to the sticky stuff you were using before. Great for massage, penetration, and even taming frizz, Uberlube is the gift that keeps on giving. It's a fan and industry favorite for a reason. Seriously, it's amazing. And because of that gorgeous glass bottle I mentioned earlier, you can keep it right on your nightstand for convenience. Just remember, you can't use silicone lubes with silicone sex toys. Uber Lube is, however, latex compatible. So stay safe. Get yourself a bottle of Uber Lube or several at uberlube.com and use code TALKTABOO for 10% off. I'm already excited for your future sexual endeavors. And now, back to our show. I want to talk a little bit about managing relationship conflict, which obviously every relationship is going to have conflict. Um, And Shula, you mentioned contempt earlier, and I want to talk about defensiveness, um, which is another one of the four horsemen, I believe. (laughs) So where does defensiveness come from and what can you do when you start to notice it showing up within yourself, like I'm getting defensive. And when you notice like your partner's getting defensive, where does that come from? And what do you do to kind of manage that? Shula, I'll let you take this one. I'm going to let you. Yeah. Um, so when, when you're getting defensive, there's usually, you're trying to, to protect yourself from something, right? Whether it's a criticism, whether it, you know, whether there's a, there's been a cycle of things not working the way that you would like them to. If you don't feel like you have the tools in order to fulfill the request or even hear what the other person is saying, you feel like you need to to defend yourself. And so it can be a really old story and it could be something that needs to be like unpacked from your childhood, which is when, you know, you would go see Casey and talk about that. Or it could be just, you've gotten into a conversational pattern, right? Where it's just, it's not going anywhere, right? And so you just feel like you need to defend, you want to be right, right? You're not trying to connect and understand where your partner's coming from. You just want to be right about it. And even as a relationship coach and somebody with all this, I mean, I do this sometimes, honestly, you know, my partner will say something to me and be like, why did you say it? And I'll be like, well, you said this. And they'll be like, um, and I'm like, oh God, I'm doing it. I'm being defensive, you know? And in that moment, when I feel that, you know, when I do that, I'm like, I have to check in with myself and say, okay, what about that request? Or like, what about the way that, you know, this person is talking to me is making me feel like I can't hear them, you know, that I somehow have to let them know that I'm right or I know better. Like, what is, what is that? Like, why can't I be generous in this moment? And maybe it'll be like, because we talk about this all the time and nothing ever happens, right? So how do we get out of this cycle? And and sometimes if you have the, the tools, you can slow yourself down, you can apologize, and then you can try to figure out what went on there. But sometimes you're going to need some outside help in order to to kind of unpack that and untangle that. 
and conflict is inevitable. Like, and conflict is not bad in relationship. You know, I mean, it's something that is part of it. If you're not having conflict at any point, somebody's not talking, somebody's not speaking up. So, um, that's what I would, I would, um, I would advise people to, to do think about like, what are you trying to protect and what are you trying to preserve? And why is it hard for you to connect or to understand what this person is saying? Yeah. Well said. I think that vulnerability piece that has to show up to, to not be defensive, like vulnerability puts out the flame of defensiveness. And it says, I, I trust you. I trust myself in this moment to be a hundred percent transparent with what I'm feeling. Yeah. So we, I think that skill has to be nurtured. The relationship has to be safe for it. Yeah. So just wanted to add that piece. Yeah, that's, that's so, yeah, the vulnerability piece is it's huge saying like I'm wrong or I don't know how to, or, I've been hurt too much. It's so, it's such a huge one. Casey, you have a reel on Instagram about not being responsible for your partner's emotions. So can you talk a little bit more about what that means? Yes, absolutely. So I think one of the challenges that we face in relationships is this idea that we're 100% responsible for how our partner feels all the time right? Um, So if I do this, oh no, they're going to feel this way, or I'm going to make them sad if I don't make that pot of coffee that I always make every morning, but this morning I just don't feel like it. And so I am now responsible for their whole entire day, right? Like this, this thought process, it takes, we really do ourselves and each other a disservice with that mindset. Because when we hold that, we say that people aren't responsible for how they respond. And we have to be very careful about thinking that we have this power over another individual. When at the end of the day, regardless of what you do, the other person gets to decide how they respond to it. And you don't control that. And Once we understand that, I think it empowers relationships and it frees people, right, to not have that burden. And it holds people accountable for their reactions and how they respond. Yeah, it's really important. So I I wanted to make it fun and and put, put it out in a playful reel just to remind people of that. I love it. I need to see that reel. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, check it out. <laughs> yeah. Casey's Instagram game is is on point. It's awesome. Thank you. So I guess just to kind of r- round out these relationship questions, and then we'll move on to some sexier, fun topics. When do you think, and I'm sure it's a personal decision, obviously, and it depends on many factors, but when is it time to just call it quits in a relationship? Like at what point should a partnership really consider, okay, maybe, maybe, you know, we've tried it, we've done it, we've put in the work, maybe this it's time to move on. I mean, abuse, like to me, like that's like, if there is, you know, if it's become really toxic and it's become dangerous and it's become something that is 
just making each person miserable, whether it's abusing each other or abusing yourself or whatever it is. I think that that's a hard, that's a hard stop for me. <laughs> I'm just like, that's a very, that's something to, to get out of and, and get help. And, and if you're in a situation like that, find the resources that, that you need to. So yeah, that's, that's for me, like hard stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that people have to understand what their kind of non-negotiables are if the relationship is no longer serving them or adding any value and they can't build with this other individual for whatever reason, then it's difficult to justify why you should stay. Um, And I think when people aren't sure, they should really ask themselves and kind of forecast out, if I stay in this relationship, what will this relationship look like? And what will it mean for my life and the other person's life? And really evaluate what that is, because that can in and of itself help shape that decision. Yeah, if you see all your dreams lying on the floor and and not being touched or even and you don't even recognize your life and and you don't even recognize your surroundings and and your what's in your heart, that's also a time where you're like, "Wait, why did I give up all of this stuff?" And the non-negotiables are are huge. You know, I hear people say like, "Maybe I don't need maybe I don't want to have kids. I I don't know. Like they don't want to have kids. Maybe I'll be fine with it. You know, (laughs) like when their voice is like going up like that, you're like, okay, are you fine with it? You know, that's, that's something that's really, you know, let's really talk about that before you decide to just drop it on the floor. Yeah. You know, YOLO. So we have to (laughs) exactly (laughs) really think about, think about that. Um, Okay, so pivoting a bit, switching gears. Both of you have backgrounds, obviously, in um, sexuality and talking about sex. So, Casey, I guess, can you expand on exactly what sex therapy is and what it isn't? Because I do think there are a lot of misconceptions when people think about going to see a sex therapist that aren't necessarily the case. And I would love for you to talk about that. Yeah, so I think one of the myths or misconceptions about sex therapy is that the therapist is going to be physically involved and or touching and supporting the client. And that is far, far, far from the truth. So I think that piece is just important for people to understand. Sex therapy is no different from traditional therapy. It's just around the topic of sex. So if you can help people understand, oh, sex therapy. So it's talk therapy. There are modalities that are used to address an issue, but the issue is around sexual dysfunction or sexual health or some challenge or barrier that the couple or individual is facing regarding their sense of sexuality, sensuality. It could be related to um, sexual orientation, managing some transitions there, sense of identity. So all of that is, like that's the the easiest answer that I would give. Awesome. So I'm just going to read a statistic here. So bear with me for a second. One study showed that when couples report high sexual satisfaction, it accounts for 15 to 20% 
of their overall relationship satisfaction. However, when the couple reports low sexual satisfaction, it contributes 50 to 70% of their overall satisfaction with their partner. So basically, if sexual satisfaction is great, then it's sex isn't necessarily like a huge component or not component, but like it's not an issue. Um, and it's not like a pressing thing that a couple would consider as part of the relationship. But when it's not good, like it's not good, like it's causing a lot of stress or not necessarily good, but when there's, you know, other issues going on, it's causing a lot of stress on the relationship. So can you talk about what couples can do when there are dips in desire or just mismatched libidos and when one or both partners are experiencing um, dissatisfaction with their sex life? Uh, The hardest thing to do, but like the best thing to do is like, I mean, acknowledge it, like, say like, hey, like, this is what's going on. You know, we we haven't se- had sex in a long time, or, you know, this is not, you know, there's something about our connection that just seems to be off right now. I think it's hard for people to even admit it or to even speak to it or even, you know, to themselves or, or to their, their partner. So I think acknowledging it and being like, hey, like, this might be something we need to work on. And there's a lot of shame around that, I think. I think a lot of people are like, that's another thing you're supposed to just know how to do. And just know how to do like long term. You know, if you're some with somebody for 25 years, I mean, what you were doing in the first year might not be interesting to you in the 25th year, right? But does that mean that you stop like getting it on? Like, I hope not. Like, that's, there has to be a little bit of, of flexibility. So, and things are a bigger deal when they're not going well, you know, like if you're having great sex and you're fine with the amount that you're, maybe you're not having it all the time, but when you have it, it's great. And that's good enough for the two of you. That's great. It's not even something to discuss in a way, but like, if it's not going well, like then it becomes really all encompassing and it becomes, it it goes into different parts of the relationship. You know, you don't, take the garbage out or you don't do the dishes or you don't like look at it a certain way and it can become a huge bomb and it all is like the not having sex or not having the kind of sex you want do you have anything to add to that yeah I was just thinking and that's so true the the acknowledgement is key right so put that elephant out on the table and let's talk about it and how that maybe the desire discrepancy is impacting you as an individual and what meaning you might be assigning to that because oftentimes couples will assign meaning like that means you're not attracted to me or that right like or whatever it is and that's the part that really needs to be talked about and shared then you can think about planning ahead how do we manage the desire differences right now let's look at what may be contributing to that And has anything worked in the past when we went through this? And we, you know, sometimes people have like amnesia and you forget they'd like, you've gotten through some really tough situations in your relationship and you made some very intentional choices about how you were going to do that. So draw from those strengths. And then of course, seek support when you need it so that you can get uh, the tools and the resources. And I think sometimes it's really about normalizing it. It is normal. For couples to go through a roller coaster ride of desire differences, how sex looks in their relationship over a continuum, what the impact of kids or medical issues, 
and, and job stress and things like that. Pandemic. <laughs> yes. Hello. Pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Major. Given that it's so normal and frequent, obviously, especially in a long term relationship, it's going to come up. What recommendations would you have for the higher desire person who's maybe just not feeling desired, even if they're not higher desire, maybe they're just not feeling desired by their partner. Um, And I think even though obviously you can, you know, self-pleasure, you can have general confidence or build that. I think it can be hard if you're feeling like your partner's never interested in you. So what, what recommendations would you have there? So I think it starts with looking at the non-sexual ways that your partner communicates love so that you don't get stuck in this space of because they aren't expressing sexual desire and need for me, that that is this big umbrella that says they don't want me. So you can get blinded. So it's really looking at, okay, what are the other ways that my partner shows interest? and appreciation for spending time and being with me. So I think that's one thing to start. And I think the other really good thing would be communicating to your partner how you're experiencing their lack of desire so that they understand the impact that it has. And you can start opening the doors to look at what are other ways that we can create moments of intimacy together depending on again, what we're dealing with in life. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's exactly, that's wonderful. And it's like a thing where if you have all of that sexual energy inside of you and you do have a lot of desire, like being creative and like playful and finding a way to, I think one of the things that happens is that the higher desire person and the lower desire person might feel that the higher desire person is just kind of like, constantly disappointed and kind of like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Like, you know, like tapping on the shoulder, like kind of like, you know, like, but it doesn't have to be that way. It's, it's also creating an invitation into uh, creating a world together, right? Like inviting them into pleasure, inviting them into, you know, just saying, okay, no, we're just going to do a back rub. It's not, back rub is not going to lead to a front rub. Cause I know that you're not really in the mood for that, but like, let's play with that or, or let's do things. You have all this sexual energy and this desire. There are other ways to project it. And hopefully that invitation can inspire, you know, you, the, the lower desire person, the, the goal is to inspire them into wanting as opposed to being like, you don't do this ever. Why? Or so. Yes. I love that. Okay. So what if your partner is resistant to trying new things or they're intimidated by, if you want to bring sex toys into the bedroom or explore kink, or even just want to try a new position or just, you know, if you want to explore and especially if you've maybe never had that as part of your relationship and the other person is like, you know, maybe they're taken aback thinking, are you unhappy? Are you dissatisfied? Am I not enough? Or, or maybe they just are like, I don't know even what to do. Like I've never done this before. How would you recommend kind of overcoming those insecurities and fears? So I think it's about creating a safe space for the conversation with no judgment whatsoever. The person who might feel more 
adventurous sexually has to be very mindful about how they project any judgment onto the other person for not being that way, because that's going to close them off even more. One is not better than the other. So it's really about how do we explore this together? And what is your understanding of these things? Because education is a huge component to comfortability and willingness to try things. So if the person who is very excited about trying something new, the other person needs the space to say, I don't even understand where do I put this part of the tool? Like, how does this work? And am I going to enjoy it? And what, right? So that there's a chance to educate, process any sexual shame, limiting beliefs, thoughts that they've learned from you know, school or faith-based communities or family, right? To unpack some of that, to help them feel comfortable in the conversation. And then hopefully next step, experimenting. Yes. And definitely don't say things like, well, my ex used to do this or you know, don't say things like that. Or this person does that, or these people have a crazy sex life and we are boring. You know, that's like also part of the creating the, the safe space. It's not comparing, it's making this a unique experience that you are doing together because it is the first time maybe it's not the first time for you that you're using a sex toy in the bedroom but it's the first time you're doing it with this person how do we make this like a momentous special like really incredible experience i love that thank you for adding that um so this last question is just totally for me um <laughs> so i've noticed that after years of just taboo being my everyday job uh, and learning all things sex and relationships that I start to intellectualize things in my relationship in a way that feels kind of like not natural. Like even as you were mentioning earlier, Shula, with like, and noticing that you're being defensive is just self-reflection, but, but I, I don't know. I feel like I start putting these terms on things that are happening or I'm thinking about it from this other standpoint. And even as people are just starting to consume more and more of this content on Instagram, and maybe they're not actually processing it outside of just reading it, I guess, how do you not bring your work home with you? Or do you find that you experience this where you're like taking sort of your profession into your relationships in ways that obviously there's many great ways, but in ways that are kind of, does that make sense? Long-winded question. Yes. No, it definitely makes sense. So I think part of it is understanding the different roles that you play in the various areas of your life and acknowledging the benefits of those roles in that space and recognizing the areas where some can transfer over, but know that all of it shouldn't because now you're entering into a new role. Right. So your role as professional sex educator in that space, there's certain mentalities and understandings and skills you have to apply in your personal relationships. It's great to use the lens of the education that you have. But now you're showing up as the lover, as the best friend, the confidant, 
the supporting companion, that takes you tapping into a, a different set of skills and a different part of your heart, right? Like your heart space is going to be very different than where you are in your professional life. So it's that self-reflection and having that awareness when it starts to creep up to check yourself and remind yourself, where am I and who am I with, right? Like that's what I have to tell myself. Where am I? Oh, I'm at home on the couch. Who am I with? Oh, I'm next to my husband. Okay, Casey, you are not going to approach this engagement, this interaction, the way that maybe something came up in a session earlier in the day and it made me think of something and now I'm bringing that into this space. I am not the therapist right now. Yeah, I'm just Casey. Yeah. Yeah, it's important not to like objectify, I mean, your partner in a way and like, you know, subjectify the situation in a way where, um, you know, I think it's, it's good to like recognize when you're doing things and you're like, oh, I can improve. Like when I was talking about the defensiveness, there are other times where, you know, I'll find myself being like, oh, I don't know, why didn't I ask for that? Like, what am I doing right now? And and it's good to have that, that awareness, but I think it's, it's, good to subjectify not objectify yourself as like somebody who's like not able to navigate relationships or in a dysfunctional relationship or you know in a inter dysfunctional interaction or whatever it is um i think our education and our awareness and our experience is great but we still have to filter it through this human body who's having chemical reactions to another person and who is there to explore and if there's something that feels like worthwhile sharing like with your partner and saying like, Hey, like maybe this is something for us to check out, or maybe this is something for you to check out, but not getting like really shrinking on them and trying to analyze them. Right. That's not, not the point. Um, so yes, it's about like taking some of the, the good parts, like when you need it, like when you need to remind yourself to self soothe or do be aware, you know, and be aware of your partner, but also like recognizing that you're a human being who deserves to mess up and repair and you know enjoy and and also just just learn you know because we in the end like yes we spend a lot of time with this material but we are still students of all of this you know we still have so much to learn and we learn so much from our clients and and um yeah so awesome thank you so much super helpful um and <laughs> how can people find you how can people work with you um so i'm on instagram that's kind of my play area where I provide education and support. So um, that's a great place to connect with me. And I can include my handle. I'm sure you'll have it in the show notes, uh, but K underscore spot underscore therapy. Um, also at CaseyPolite.com. Yeah, those are the two best places. Yes. And I, I'm also on Instagram at Shula Melamed and, and also shulamelamed.com. And you can contact me there. And um, I can't wait to check out your Instagram, Casey. Yes. I can't wait to connect with you as well. Yeah. K-Spot. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I would love to know your thoughts. So please feel free to head on over to our Instagram 
at asking for myself. Shoot me a DM, let me know if you have any feedback or if you have any questions for a future episode, including guests you wanna hear from or challenges you may be experiencing in your sex life or relationships. This podcast is a place for me to sneakily ask all the questions I have, but ultimately it is for you to listen, to learn and to grow. And most of all, to feel empowered to start having these conversations in your life. I know that since starting Taboo and openly talking about sex and relationships all the time, I feel so much more comfortable. I grew up not even able to, you know, talk about anything like this. So, I mean, relationships obviously are less taboo, but I just cannot even begin to say how much I've grown um, tremendously, really. So I'm hoping that this podcast serves as the same opportunity for you in your life. Um, Yeah. So please, please, please let me know if you want me to talk about something specific. And also, I would love to ask you to leave a review for the podcast on Spotify and Apple. It really helps other people discover it. So I would definitely really appreciate that. Hope you learned something valuable today and I'll catch you next time. Bye.